0: This scripture lesson is from the book of Matthew. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John up up on a high mountain to be alone with them. And before their eyes, Jesus was transfigured, his face becoming as dazzling as the sun and his clothes as radiating, radiate, radiant as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, conversing with Jesus. Then, Peter said, Rabbi, how good that we are here. With your permission, I will erect three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter was still speaking when suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. Out of the cloud came a voice which said, This is my own, my beloved, on whom my favor rests rest listen to him when they heard this the disciples fell forward on the ground overcome with fear jesus came toward them and touched them saying get up don't be afraid when they looked up they did not see anyone but jesus as they were coming down the mountainside jesus commanded them don't tell anyone about this until the chosen one has risen from the dead
1: Oh, This morning I'm going to invite you to join me with prayer as I start the sermon. Holy One, we ask that you be our vision, that you be the thing that attracts our attention, that guides our thinking and our actions, that our decisions and our example might all be in tune with your will and your desires for us. May the words that we speak and the gestures that convey our affection for one another and our meditations and our decisions all be based in your love and grace. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who here has ever been to a magic show? Yeah. Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? It's fun uh, to have someone trick us, uh, go around our perceptions in ways that lead us to make conclusions that all of a sudden we realize are wrong. Making things appear out of thin air, supposedly, making things disappear when they want them to, and then reappear as if by magic. What a wonderful thing to sort of step into that world where anything's possible, where where a wand can be waved and reality is changed, where where someone's material existence can somehow be called into question as all of a sudden they're not where we thought they were. In the setting of an auditorium with someone up on the stage performing all these magic tricks, it's pretty benign and pretty... Uh, safe for us. We don't feel threatened. Some people don't like magic shows. I, I share a house with someone like that. The perception they have is that they're being tricked. That someone is trying to put one over on them to make them feel um, foolish and deceived. And that somehow by paying admission you've been duped out of your money, by someone who really is doing nothing more than lying to you as an audience member. Now, that's pretty harsh, um, and, and that person of which I speak probably would frame it differently, but uh, that person's not here, so I get to put it the way I want. <laughs> The difficulty comes when those, those deceptions and those illusions and those things we thought were right but aren't happen in our everyday ordinary lives. When, when something is actually put over on us and we find ourselves being fooled or tricked or maybe just wrong about something. And sometimes the consequences of that can be dire. We see a person of color at night walking down the street wearing a hoodie. And what do we see? What conclusions do we draw? What, what assumptions do we make? We see a person dressed in a particular way that we find provocative. And we begin to look that person uh, at that person as an object. Something that can satisfy some of our desires. Something that we can exploit in the way we want to. What do we see? In those moments, when we objectify a human being, we see someone with a weapon, knife, a sword, a gun. What conclusions do we draw? What assumptions do we make? Are they a bad person or a good person? Are they intent on inflicting mayhem, or are they trying to protect us from danger. It all depends on what we see, doesn't it? And not just the light rays coming into our eyeballs to stimulate the the rods and cones in our retinas, but how our brain puts that together, how our spirit, our, our reptilian brain responds. Is it time to run? Is it time to flee? Is it time to reproduce? Is it time to rest and relax? What we see matters. So when we sing a song like, Be Thou My Vision, I hope part of what we're doing is inviting God to affect how we see the world and to put into our eyes and our minds and our hearts a way of looking at the world that does not assume the worst about people and invites community and hope and well-being. Peter and James and John go up on the mountain with Jesus, and what do they see? What do they see? The gospel writers all make an attempt to describe what happened. Somehow Jesus is made to look different. Somehow there's there's the sense of light and brilliance and, and, and intense whiteness that comes and emanates from this vision that they're seeing. And there, all of a sudden, are Moses and Elijah conversing with Jesus, interacting in a way that indicates that somehow they are on a par with one another or that at least that they have some business to attend to and work out and work together on. And what does Peter see? Peter sees something that perhaps the rest don't. And we only know this because of the way Peter responds. Lord, it's a good thing we're here. Uh, We can build booths for the three of you. Now, some have said this was a way to sort of freeze the moment, to make it last longer, to, to... um, to invite this vision and these these folks who were part of it to remain would have been the, the the Polaroid picture of Peter's day. Can we capture this moment and preserve it? Hold on to the mountaintop experience for as long as we can, maybe forever. Wouldn't that be grand? To be on the mountain, basking in the glory of God, to be with Moses and Elijah. To have their faith and trust in Jesus confirmed and borne out by this wondrous vision. But there's more to what Peter offers than just the attempt to capture what's going on. The booth suggests that Peter is thinking of the festival of Sukkoth a harvest festival festival initially, but but it evolved by the time Uh, of the first century into something that had some Messianic overtones. That is, it was a way for people to sit in their booths and dream of the day when the Messiah would come. It's important to note that as Matthew puts the gospel together, the confession of Peter has already happened. Peter has already confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one of God. So it's not that he comes to this realization now as a a sort of a new thing. But remember what happens right after Peter's confession. Uh, Peter blows it immediately. Jesus tells the disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. I will face the people who don't agree with me, and I will die. And on the third day, I will be raised again. Now the church has chosen uh, the wider church has chosen to put a lectionary a calendar of of Bible readings together that places this incident right before Lent and I think I think in some ways this is a good spot for it because it directs our attention toward Jerusalem it directs us toward this thing that's going to happen and remember what Peter's response to that was? "No, my Lord, this will never happen to you." And Jesus says, remember, get behind me, Satan. What you say is not of God, but of men. I sometimes wonder if up on the mountain, faced with this dazzling thing, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter, is is essentially saying, see, I was right, we're not supposed to go to Jerusalem. This is where it ends. This is how it turns out. This is what's going to bring in the kingdom of God. I was right. You were wrong, Jesus. Ha! And Peter blows it again. And the voice from the cloud says in no uncertain terms, "Um, This is my chosen. This is my beloved. I am pleased with him. Listen to him, Peter saw something that wasn't there, and I don't mean the light and the and the white garments and Moses and Elijah. What Peter saw was what he wanted to see was what he hoped to see, and the ramifications of all of that was that he got off track, he got derailed, and he could get back on. It wasn't the end wasn't the end of everything. God didn't strike Peter dead and and, um, pick somebody else to take his spot. And I think this is a good lesson for us to remind us how to look at the world, how to look at the people in it, how to look at the events that transpire and even those miraculous times when we encounter an element of our faith and hope and trust that 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 is miraculous to us and transformative, that changes how we think about the world and our place in it. The language is antiquated, but sometimes in Scripture there's there's reference to having ears to hear or eyes to see because sometimes we don't. Sometimes we shut out truths that are too uncomfortable for us to bear. Sometimes we paint the world in a way that is all goodness and light or conversely that is all mistrust and evil. And that sets the tone for what we see and hear and conclude about what happens around us. This passage, I'm convinced, is a wake-up call to us to not be locked into the understandings that have bound us for too long, that have kept us from embracing the fullness of God's creation and the fullness of the community of faith, that have allowed us to lock the doors to certain people that we don't want to come in, and that have allowed us to ignore the needs and the pain and the cries of our faith family. As we begin the season of Lent, it's a good time for us to put some of those things away, to give them up for Lent, as it were, and to allow ourselves to see with fresh eyes. And hear with fresh ears. And think with minds and hearts that are renewed and expansive. And say instead of, you can't, what if? What if? So yes, we're going to hear about Mardi Gras this week. There are going to be parades and floats and people in costumes and people out of costumes. And there's going to be there's going to be some language about repentance and death and ashes and dust. But what do we see in those things? I hope we can see an opportunity. I hope we can see possibilities that God lays before us. I hope we can see opportunities for reconciliation and opportunities for relationship. I hope we can imagine what it's like to hear of death every day of one's life. And then to have the door opened to life and hope. Let's enter this season with our hearts and minds transfigured so that we can see and hear what God is doing. Amen.